0: Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today. What they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Sonia Osqui is the Vice President of Biosimilars for Cardinal Health. She leads the company's biosimilar strategy and leverages an enterprise perspective to maximize value that enhances patient access, improves outcomes, and lowers healthcare costs. Prior to joining Cardinal, Dr. Osque served as the Vice President of Innovation and Digital Health at Premier, Inc., where she led their national biosimilar strategy on behalf of 4,000 hospitals and 175,000 other providers. She's also served as a corporate supervisor for pharmacy purchasing and procurement for Noventel. Dr. Oskui holds a doctor of pharmacy degree from Belmont University and is a board certified medical affairs specialist by the ACMA. She is an established thought leader with numerous publications and currently serves on the Board of Advisors for the Center for Biosimilars. Hello, Dr. Oskui, welcome to the Healthcare and Higher podcast.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. And and please call me Sonia.
0: Sonia, it is. It's a pleasure to have you here on the show today. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about your career journey and the things that you do today. Um, And I know that there's a lot of listeners that are going to be meeting you for the very first time. Why don't we take this opportunity and have you share a little bit about yourself? Tell us who you are, what you do at Cardinal, and how does your role take healthcare to a higher level?
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Sonia Osque. I'm in the role of Vice President of Biosimilars at Cardinal Health. I am a pharmacist, I did PGY1 and PGY2 health system pharmacy, I'm in residencies and then found my path to Cardinal Health. And in my role, I'm really positioned to leverage a enterprise perspective to maximize the value of biosimilars, and this is on behalf of multiple stakeholder types. So it's for the health system networks that we support, for the community clinics, the retail pharmacies, specialty pharmacies, even in the payers and the managed care landscape and the life science companies that are working in this space. So it's a fun role to be in, um, and it really impacts healthcare in a meaningful way. Uh, because if you look at any likely any healthcare organization's top drug expenditure list, you're naturally going to find biologics, which today we either have biosimilars approved for or in the pipeline to be developed for. And so these are really critical tools to addressing the rising healthcare costs associated with these critical treatments.
0: I'm so glad that you've mentioned, you know, you've helped define biosimilars a little bit better for the audience. And I'm going to want to dig into that a little bit more. But, you know, for, sure. for those that are either like me that have had some tangential touch with Cardinal at some point in their career, um, or they're hearing it for the first time, I think, you know, what we're what we're what I'm hearing is an understatement of the value of your company. Uh, I mean, Cardinal uh, Cardinal Health is ranked 14 on the Fortune 500. You guys are serving 90% of U.S. hospitals and 29,000 pharmacies. You're not just a distributor. You're actually a manufacturer and producer of medical and laboratory products, which is really different. And, you know, the way that the world of healthcare is changing, it's, it's refreshing to see how an organization that has been around for 50 years um, and, you know, serving in 40 countries is actually changing with the times to provide services and products that definitely, you know, increase the outcomes and the betterment of, of patients working in partnership with providers. So for the listeners exactly. that are, you know, had some idea of who Cardinal was, you now should have a better idea of how, how impactful this organization is when it comes to, you know, making differences in the in the course of peoples and providers lives. Let's go back to the biosimilar conversation, right? Like I, you know, for me. Uh, You know, I've been a pharmacist for many years and I've had, you know, some touch with Cardinal, but, you know, the biosimilar phrase is relatively new for me. And there may be some people that are hearing it for the first time. Can you explain a little bit better or more in detail about like how biosimilars first got started um, and how they are, you know, starting to become more and more of a of a component in terms of prescriptive authority or or in terms of how they're being written for in, in the regulatory landscape of today?
1: Yes, absolutely, and fantastic description of Cardinal, thank you for, <laughs> for doing that. Um, so from a biosimilar standpoint, um, when we think about how we even got here with biosimilars now on the market, it really started through the Biologics Price Competition and Innovation Act that was under the ACA uh, back in 2010 that created this path for biosimilars to be approved. Now, what biosimilars ultimately are are highly similar products to already existing FDA-approved biologics. So if you think about it, and I'm cautious about using this term, but I'll use it for a descriptive purpose, it's almost like having a generic of a brand biologic. Now, the reason why I'm cautious about using that term is biosimilars technically are not generics, which is why you have this different pathway in this terminology. And the reasoning behind that is that biosimilars in all biologics are made from living cells. Okay. So to manufacture them and replicate them through the process, because of the uh, living nature of these products, the best you could ultimately get is a highly similar version of that product. Hence the term biosimilar. So this is like the analogy that I, that I like to use. It's like picking grapes from a part of a vineyard, the same part of year, same season, and then making wine bottles. Okay. You're going to have some inherent variability between those bottles because they're made from living cells, the grapes. And so that's the nature of biologics; hence the term biosimilars, and a separate regulatory approval pathway to bring them to market.
0: Wow, that's very helpful, Sonia. And, and I think that that's the first time I've ever had anyone ex- actually explain the process. Uh, the analogy was great, by the way. Even though I don't drink wine, I can definitely visualize <laughs> that process. As a pharmacist, you know, when I hear you describe how this new pathway of medications have been developed, you know, there's a lot of this old mindset of, as you said, like it's not a generic, it's not the same entity, it's an actual new chemical moiety that's been produced in a similar fashion. Um th- there's got to be a lot of research that has to go into testing checking for efficacy and safety like how does a company like like Cardinal or or any other company that's producing these biosimilars go about that and you know how is there like a a recent achievement or accomplishment or some initiative that you have been a part of in order to move forward a, a new biosimilar into the product that we should all be eagerly anticipating <laughs>
1: Well, as a company, we're not in the position of manufacturing these biosimilars, but we work with the manufacturers and the commercial partners. So to your point, the regulatory approval pathway looks different for biosimilars than it does for the traditional biologic approval pathway. Um, And there's often a visual, if you could visualize it, the traditional pathway is like a pyramid, uh, an upside down pyramid. So at the point at the bottom, that's the amount of we'll say analytical data needed to get a new biologic approved through the FDA. Then you go up higher, and then at the highest portion of that pyramid, you have clinical trials. So as a new biologic, you have to do the clinical safety and efficacy clinical trials to come to market. When you look at the biosimilars approval pathway that was created, now flip that triangle so it's right side up, so the point is at the top. The bottom, the most weight, is put on the physiochemical characterization and the analytical data of the biosimilar to show that it's highly similar to the originator biologic so you see the purposes of the approval pathways are different Once to establish that standalone efficacy and safety the biosimilar approval is to, to show high level of similarity to the originator biologic so there's different data that's needed to approve a biosimilar and submit to the fda from a life science or, or pharmaceutical company standpoint from our position within carnal health it's really trying to enable access accessibility to these products once they became available, but also to your earlier point being such a large organization. We also have a biopharma division that can work with these manufacturers and help guide them through the regulatory approval pathway with the FDA um, and filing submissions. uh, For example, so we work with these companies in different manners and then once they're on the market commercialized. Uh, We have ways of supporting our provider networks and being able to effectively evaluate and adopt these products where they're going to make the most sense and be financially beneficial to their practices, the patients out of pocket costs, etc.
0: That's really insightful. I mean, there there's so many shades, there's so many questions I have for you in this space, right, because I'm not familiar, and most of my listeners are probably like not working in a regulatory capacity. So they have zero clue in general, but now when we're talking about biosimilars, like we're adding on an extra shade uh, or an extra perspective on how this process works. So. I have to ask, you know, it's not something that most people, most pharmacists don't go through school getting this kind of information and exposure to, Uh, and your career history has actually been pretty unique. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what you've done. Like you mentioned before that you had actually completed a PGY-1 and a PGY-2. You spent four years at Novant Health and you moved into, I believe, if not, um, I think a director role or a... um, You were working in a capacity where you were able to um, uh, be effective in terms of uh, processing and acquiring uh, medications, if I'm not mistaken, is that correct?
1: Yeah, so so I oversaw procurement and purchasing for the IDN after the residency. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, So that was in a position where I was essentially working with the, the pharmaceutical companies. And, and of course, our health system stakeholders and presented every month on P&T committees and was part of that whole formulary evaluation process within a health system. Um, but you're right. I think I've always been drawn to areas that have not been as popular or common. I think that's always something about me. I always want to dig into the unknown. <laughs> so even through my residencies, uh, I had a focus in, in management. I always have a passion for, for management and leadership and those type of responsibilities as well. So pairing the two together, I was very intrigued about, you know, how did how did the drug just come on our shelves in the hospital? What was the process behind that? You know, what was the manufacturing? How did the contracting work? Which wholesaler, which GPO? There's so many different elements to get these products on your shelf that you're right. I would say it's not talked about as commonly. And it's something that I, I advocate for to embed more in these educational programs too, because it's such a critical part of, patient-centered care is understanding the business of pharmacy as well. So I think that always triggered me to take some of these non-traditional, right, you know, routes, I'll say, with pharmacy.
0: Yeah. And that insatiable curiosity of yours actually led you to a lot of very novel areas that probably in the beginning were like, nobody's ever heard of this, but now it's almost like a requirement to be you know, at least knowledgeable about what those industries are, right? So you were, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Vice President of Innovation and Digital Health, uh, and then you were also working for a company called Premier Inc. And now you're in this space of biosimilars. Um, you know, aside from the curiosity, like what led you to uh, be attracted to the biosimilar area or the biosimilar sector? Like, was there like a moment in time where you had this touch with like uh, a situation that you were like, oh. I have no idea what this is. So, how did that connection happen for you from innovation and in digital health into the biosimilar arena?
1: Yeah, it's almost like I I I've never let go, let go of the biosimilar roles that I that I had too. So, from the health system standpoint, it was around the time that we were about to have our first FDA approved biosimilar. And I kind of took on early on uh, efforts on understanding what these products are, what they mean, and quickly became fascinated and intrigued by them because of exactly what we talked about earlier about the top drug expenditure expenditure list being biologics. Biologics are the most expensive drug category, not only in the US, but in the world. Um, there's a high chance that all of us know somebody that is on a biologic, um, and we know the burden that this could be for many individuals. So I quickly became passionate about the whole opportunity of biosimilars and really the promise behind it is bringing increased competition to the market, therefore lowering costs and enhancing accessibility to these critical treatments. So when something is aligned with my, I would say, clinical training and my passion and just my, my mission and my values, it's very easy to get behind and, and get excited about it. So. I also love the fact that it was a newer area, not a lot of individuals were talking about it, because at the time it was just so new. So it it seemed like a really cool opportunity to try to get ahead of this and become very knowledgeable and support others with becoming knowledgeable and what these are. So from from that early experience, I had the opportunity to join Premier and lead uh, the Biosilmer strategy for that organization, which led me to working closely with all the life science companies about to enter that space and supporting the health system provider network that was part of premier and then i went to that innovation digital health role which essentially expanded the ways we could work with biosimilar companies and beyond which was fun so we looked at different technology capabilities that we can make interventions and improve outcomes and it it was a fun position to be in but all the whole time that even leading up to carnal i was always involved with biosimilars and participating whether it's FDA comments on guidances or testifying at um, the ODAC committee for the first therapeutic oncology biosimilar to be approved. So I always felt passionate and was involved in this space. And then to come to Cardinal Health, for me, this was a really amazing opportunity because I felt like an organization like Cardinal Health has such a significant footprint to your point in the US um, and a potential to have a, a strong scale of influence in this space and so that really encouraged me to come here and focus on the biosimilar strategy especially at a time where we are today where the markets evolve so much and there's so much coming still with biosimilars it's a really fun space to be in
0: i mean clearly you're you're a leader in this category sonia and i'm really excited to see that because i've read a few of your articles that you've pointed out um, on these topics and so let me ask you this like as we start to see uh biosimilars becoming mainstay. I- I'm gonna say mainstay, but you know, as they start yeah. to grow in the 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 prescriptive category, like clearly there's going to process there's going to be more regulation in order to be able to consistently show the efficacy and then manage cost, but then also like production. So Where do you see the regulation of biosimilars going over the next five years? It sounds like it's already pretty stringent to begin with. Is there a maintenance of that stringency or do you see escalation in that space? And and how do you see working with the different governmental agencies and vendors uh, working to be able to, to basically comply?
1: Right. So this might be my optimistic view, but I do see the regulatory environment just continuing to become more and more supportive of these biosimilars. Uh, and there's already proof of that happening with certain bills passing. For example, there's uh, Congress passed two bills just months ago. One focused on advancing education for biosimilars. Mm. The other is focused on ensuring innovation. So whenever there's exclusivity periods granted to innovative products that is based on true innovation, so you could have accessibility and, uh, and not delays of having access to lower cost alternatives like biosimilars. And another proof point that I, uh, it was fascinating, I don't know if you saw, but HHS just released their drug pricing plan um, days ago. It's a 27 page report. Biosimilars is mentioned 92 times in it. Wow. So when I say I think there's going to be continued momentum around these products, it's because they really are critical and bringing the competition and addressing healthcare costs in the US. So I think as we get more and more of these products in the market and we start to gather more experience and you gather greater clinical confidence in these products and the operational uh, considerations for adopting them, I think naturally we're going to have to see some potentially policy reform um, in in opportunities that's driven from more of a policy standpoint or government standpoint to ensure that there is a level playing field, and they can come to market, and that people can access them.
0: So now I'm really, you know, I'm really curious because what I find very interesting is, you know, the way that you have developed the skill set of collaboration and working with other individuals, organizations, whether they're governmental, nonprofit, or for-profit, because it's necessary to present a unified, uh, unified voice on the issues. Um, but I'm curious to know, like how did you how did you know that this was the right role for you? We've talked about an insatiable curiosity. We've talked about being attracted to roles that have a a management and a clinical balance. Um, and you could have probably explored other things as well, but this one this one was the one for you. but how did you know and and what did you do to prepare for it?
1: Yeah, no, it's a good question, but I, I always say, you know, Leading a biosimilar strategy is ultimately leading a healthcare strategy. It sounds niche, but when you look at the bigger picture of what it's tackling, it's really around overall pharmaceutical strategy and healthcare strategy. And I say that because we have biosimilars that hit multiple therapeutic areas, different sites of care, treating different indications. Um, for example, thus far, it's primarily been in oncology. So we have some in rheumatology. In the pipeline, we have ophthalmology, different immunology conditions, even bone health. Uh, And if you look at each one, they each have unique considerations and dynamics for adoption that need to be addressed uh, and barriers to overcome. So it's a very dynamic environment. And I think I'm drawn to that because it's always exciting and challenging and rewarding at the end of the day to help be supportive of these products that could support multiple different conditions and indications that many patients uh, unfortunately are faced by on a daily basis
0: so it sounds like the variety is the spice of life adage is actually pretty applicable here i mean there's just so much yeah. that's happening i like that
1: yeah like- it's never boring it's definitely not it's very exciting space to be in
0: <laughs> excellent Sonia, we talked a little bit about your career and the different roles that you've had working for multiple organizations. You know when you think about all of the things that not only you were involved with but the legacies that you left because you know having served in those having served in those different capacities you you improved those. Organizations, you improve those departments. Is there a particular achievement or accomplishment that when you look back you're you're most proud of? Um, and you kind of consider that like as a, so far, the feather in your cap yeah. as it relates to your leadership legacy?
1: Uh, well, thank you for saying it. And I think that's true of, quite frankly, all pharmacists and healthcare professionals and the work they do. So um, for me, I can't point it to a single achievement, I would say, but rather, my persistence in pursuing the unknown and undefined is probably something I feel proud of. Uh, This was not on purpose, but even from my PGY2 residency, every role I have taken thus far has been a newly created position. So I wasn't walking into a role that somebody had previously. Um, Even as a PGY2, I was the first PGY2 resident helping, you know, structure the program as I went through it, and then each role from there. And something about, you know, going into an undefined position can be really exciting, sometimes a little scary, because you're not sure what the expectations are. But then you get to have this almost blank slate to create and make it what you want. And I think just being able to pursue those and and having the courage to go after them is something I feel proud of.
0: Yeah, that uncharted territory feeling can be very exhilarating, right? Like there's Nobody knows what right. good looks like and you're creating that. So it allows you that opportunity to make mistakes, but at the same time, push, push the envelope even farther. Um, and I'm glad that you right. had those opportunities because now you can kind of like go back and and teach other people, like, don't be afraid of the unknown. Embrace that, make yeah. it your own. And that's really, really helpful because I know a lot of the listeners today are are probably wondering, like, am I going to be doing this, whatever this is for the rest of my life? Because they're unsure of what's out there as well, right, Sonia? When we think about like your origin, right? Everybody, you know, chose their profession for a reason, and for some people, it was because they had a family member or a friend that was a pharmacist, um, or they had their own personal situation that in made help them encounter uh, or interact with, you know, a pharmacist or a different healthcare professional. What's your origin story? How did you get started in becoming a pharmacist? Uh, And then my next follow-up question for that is, was there a life lesson that you have learned in your journey that really changed the trajectory of what you thought you were going to be doing to where you are now?
1: Those are good questions. So I can tell you the origin pretty clearly because there was A moment I distinctly remember thinking I love this (laughs) and so um, believe it or not, I still remember it to this day like it was yesterday, it was during a career day in middle school. That we had different professions come and talk about what they do, and I remember there's a pharmacist that came in and to me it was like magic at the time she had a tablet. Mortar and pestle, and crushed it, and mixed it, and it turned into a liquid. And I was like, "What is this? This is fascinating." <laughs> and so today, of course, I know that's a, a racemic mixture, and the you know the by the chemical reaction could turn into a liquid. But I was just fascinated, and I remember at that point, I always liked helping people, and you know, playing doctor as a little kid. I liked healthcare, but at that point, I thought, "Wow, what a cool profession where you can become experts in medications. It feels like a superpower." Um, And it really triggered the excitement and passion at that time at an early age. And it just continued to grow as I went through education and school and learned more about it. Um, It's something that I that I've been wanting to pursue for a long time. So that really was the moment that it happened. And even today, when you think about simplistically, a person can take the small little, you know, white pill, for example, and it could slow your heart rate. I mean, it's fascinating when you think about what medicine can do. So I've always been, I think, fascinated by it. Um, so that's what triggered my interest in their pharmacy. So I continue to have that same, I'll say, excitement and passion to learn uh, and be medication experts with all our pharmacist peers uh, as well. And the second question you asked about something that, oh yeah, that triggered my a life path. yeah,
0: a life lesson that either changed the shape or trajectory of your career or maybe just gave you a, yeah. a different perspective on what you wanted to do versus what you thought you were going to do.
1: so i'll I'll talk about two things if that's okay, and then you could tell me otherwise. <laughs> but yeah. one of the yeah. moments, I think going through pharmacy school, a lot of the discussion, the bulk of it is I had the mentality that it's either retail or hospital. Um, That was a lot of the exposure that is present, I would say, in my experience of pharmacy schools at the time. And I was fortunate that during our rotations, uh, I did one at a corporate kind of large health system administrative type of setting. And I remember seeing pharmacists in administrative roles that are leading strategies and looking at cost savings, just different things that I wasn't exposed to previously. And I remember thinking wow, this is an option? Like (laughs) Pharmacists can do stuff like this too? And so I would say through the rotation experience that I had and was fortunate to have through my pharmacy school, that exposed me to the the path of more administrative leadership type of roles um, with with, with a pharmacist degree. So um, that was a point that triggered the interest in in navigating these different opportunities. Now, uh, something that I learned that I would say I feel helped shape the trajectory of my career was the fact that i feel so fortunate and lucky to have experienced a sponsorship and i bring this up because i have mentors and they're so important and i and i still to this day keep in touch with mentors often there's a distinct time in my career that i had the privilege of experiencing having a sponsor and this was when i was in a uh, i was in a position within the company and i was looking to enter a new role that was in an executive leadership position. And I had a, a woman coworker that's fantastic. I still speak with her often today that saw the potential on me. I uh, had experience working with me, was an advocate, and she became my sponsor within the company. Now what I mean by sponsor is that she would go to bat for me when I wasn't present. And as I was looking to this opportunity to join this new role that was in her division, Before I did my interviews, she spoke with every single person that was going to be part of my interview process and try to put the rest, any potential hesitation that they would have with me. Can you imagine having somebody do that for you for a job you want? I mean, what a cool, cool experience. I mean, to this day, I was like, wow. I mean, there's serious power behind that. And so through that experience, I I feel personally that took me to a different level in my career um, and gave me exposure and experience that I feel like I continue continuously lean on. And through that experience, it's something that I want to pay forward throughout my career as well. And to look for those that I could sponsor and help them achieve their goals in the next level of their careers. So that's what I'll say was really um, a great experience I've had.
0: I think that that's remarkable that you had such, I'll call her a wonder woman, because it's really important yeah. that people re- realize that decisions are made behind closed doors. And some, yeah. most of the time, you are not privy to what is being discussed, um, and you right. have no opportunity to influence the board or the, the people behind that, uh, behind, in that meeting. So to have someone like right. that, are you, are you comfortable sharing who this wonder woman was for you?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so she is a, currently an executive, she's a chief, chief commercial officer at, at Premier, and it's Milo Maloney, she's a phenomenal woman, um, and still, like I said, keep keep in touch with her quite quite often, um, but I mean, there's I've been fortunate to work with many strong, influential individuals and women in the workplace and all that that has been um, I, I'm so glad I've had exposure to, because these are skills and qualities that I want to emulate for others throughout their careers.
0: i I'm so I'm I know it's really nice to hear when people have had these kinds of experiences. Uh, because it's, yeah. it's, it's important that people seek out the right people to include in their inner circle. You've mentioned before, you have several career mentors, and they're important to give you sort of like this exemplary, exemplary uh plateau right. of well, that's what I want to do next, right? But they're not able to do the things that a sponsor can, or a coach can, because a coach can actually walk side by side with you. So having one right. or a few people in each of these categories is super, super critical. Sonia, you know you're you're a very positive optimistic um and very intelligent individual, and sometimes you know positivity and optimism need to be fed so when I think about you know people like like you that have that good you know energy like how do you feed that like where do you find your inspiration or motivation? are there books quotes like what is your what's your magic secret in terms of like continuously bringing your A-game in a positive way that can inspire and motivate others.
1: Well, well, thank you for saying that. I mean, I always say motivation is something that that comes from within. So it's hard for me to trigger motivation. However, I could lead by example and try to do the best I can every day and give people benefit of the doubt. Somebody's, you know, not being very kind or an email comes off the wrong way, always giving the benefit of the doubt I think is, is important. Um, everybody has stressors in their life. So I think always keeping that in consideration is is important. Now, in terms of books and quotes, I mean, I do love reading books. Uh, and I will say, this is probably dorky, but I love all the different leadership and management books out there. So me, it's like people who wrote these are people who have decades of experience or have taught or consulted or something. So for them to put it on a page that I get to consume uh, in a, a sit down fashion and learn some of those skills, I think it's, It's fun for me. And I think I'm getting some secrets that nobody else gets for some reason, (laughs) even though these are famous books um, that I really like is actually a Muhammad Ali quote. And he has tons of great quotes, in my opinion. Uh, And it's very simple, but it's uh, even the greatest was once a beginner. Don't be afraid to take that first step. And, And I just so simple. But when you think about like all stars, whether you're an athlete or you're a frequent conference speaker or you discovered something in the scientific field everybody started from scratch, like you could take that step at any point and go after what you hope to accomplish. So that's a quote that I really like.
0: I I I like that too. I may just have to put that and print it and put on my wall. I've heard a few of Muhammad Ali's quotes, but that's probably one that I haven't gone back to to really delve into. Um, you know, yeah. Sonia, you've shared so many pearls of of wisdom on this on this podcast. I'm really appreciative of you having come on and and shared both your professional side and your personal side. There are people that are you know going to be taking notes they're they're listening to what you're saying, and they're going to try to imbibe some of these lessons. Is there one final piece of advice that you would give to a listener on today's podcast where you could say, hey, you know what? Having career sponsors is very important. You know, being, yeah. embracing uncertainty is really important. Anything else that you would give them as a final parting gift to say, hey, if you're looking to try to move into something else or try new things, you should do this.
1: Yeah. So I wouldn't claim that I'm the person to give all the words of wisdom. I am constantly learning myself, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you my secret that I tell myself all the time Um, and it's to let them say no. And what i mean by that is there are times where there is a role, for example, I'll give an example. There's a role that I was interested in. You look at the qualifications, it's like 10 plus years of healthcare executive leadership or five plus years doing clinical operations, something. And you would look at it and I remember thinking, well, I don't have 10 plus years, but this seems like something I could go after. I love it and I know I'll work hard at it. But then there's, you know, early in my career, I wouldn't even apply because I'm like, I don't meet the requirements. What I've learned and, and it's through seeing different activities unfold or others go for things that I maybe didn't, is that we should never be the ones to hold ourselves back, just go for things. If it's something you're interested in, let them say no to you. You don't be the one to be saying no to yourself, so that's always kind of in the back of my head, we want to look at healthcare reform let's try to see if we get with cms and FDA and have these discussions and inform policy so with that mentality is just go for things um, and never be the one to tell yourself no so that's what I tell myself. <laughs>
0: So it's so it's so refreshing because I think that a lot of people, including myself, I think we all have some degree of self-talk that's negative. Like, I can't, I won't, it's not possible. And we do sometimes talk ourselves out of taking in uh, taking action. Um, So to hear you say that, Sonia, is very important. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Like, let others say no, but that means take the responsibility to initiate an action and put it out there. Um, You'll never know what you, I mean, Wayne Gretzky used to say this all the time. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: That's fantastic. So it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for being with me today. And with my listeners, there are going to be people who want to reach out to you, maybe ask you a few questions or learn more about you. What's the best way for them to do that?
1: Well, thank you for having me. And yes, I would love to connect with with anyone and everyone. Probably the easiest way um, is to find me on LinkedIn and send me a a message uh, and then I'll I always check those messages, and I'm on there quite a bit with different thought leadership articles and and just browsing. So definitely can look me up on LinkedIn, and I'll and I'll be sure to respond.
0: That sounds great. I'll be sure to put that out there. And Sonia, thank you once again. You have a great day.
1: Thank you. I follow you too.
0: Thanks for joining me on this episode of the healthcare and higher podcast if you liked what you heard be sure to follow and subscribe for more i'm your host iqbal acha and i invite you to connect with me on linkedin instagram and twitter let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general also visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how i help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.